legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. We're excited about our guest today, Kristen Keffler. She is the founder of Illumination 360, which is focused on family wealth advising, family dynamics, and intergeneration collaboration. She's the Dean of Positive Psychology for Purposeful Planning Institute, sits on the board of advisors for the Bailey Program for Family Enterprise at the University of Denver also. Faculty member with the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, a certified trainer, with a national nonprofit for advancing multi-generational philanthropy. And she's the co-founder of the Beneficiary Bootcamp. You do a lot. (laughs) Really excited. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. So you refer to yourself as a human capital coach. Before we get into our discussion, let's just lay out what exactly that means for the audience. What exactly is human capital and what sort of family dynamics do you focus on? Yeah. So really at the heart of it, human capital is just all of the talents and skills and aspirations of us as humans, right? And my focus of work is with high net worth families and enterprising families. So I'm always looking at what is the collective human capital of a family system and a family enterprise system. And so we, in our line of work, working with families like you and I do, there's always a strong focus on the financial capital, which is a really important element for families, right? Like that is about, as you think about legacy and and who are we and who do we want to, what's the imprint we want to leave in the future? Financial assets are a core element of that legacy piece. And also important is the human capital. You can have all the financial capital in the world, but if family members are not thriving, if they're not feeling connected to purpose in their own lives, if they're not feeling connected to their family in a way that they feel seen and appreciated for their innate gifts and skills, then you have a family that's suffering. And that's not an environment where financial capital can do the greatest good. It's not an environment where financial capital can really create legacy. So All of my focus is um, on the human side of families. And as any person who has ever spent time in a family knows that family dynamics, that's like the ways that we interact. It's who we are in the system of whatever is the makeup of of our family of origin. And then the families we create when we get married and have kids and those kinds of things. Family dynamics are really the at the heart of it. It's about What's the habitual interactions that we have as a result of being a collection of people that have been in relationship for a long time? And certainly families that also have businesses together can have even more complex dynamics because they have even more complex roles. They have multiple roles that they play with each other. So I work in all that sticky space. When you're starting to work with a family and looking at their human capital, what if not everybody in the family wants to be connected? You know, how do you start that process? Yeah, it's a great question. 
families are organic systems, right? Like if I'm starting with a family and there's a family member who says like, this isn't, I don't want to be here. This isn't part of what I want. We have to give room to that. I generally will start with interviews and trying to understand what's the perspective of every stakeholder in the family system. And in that, I will get gain more knowledge about what specifically is happening for this family member that doesn't want to be a part of this for whatever reason. And understanding that, we can start to craft what needs to happen next. Sometimes it's that the structures and the systems within the family need to be up-leveled. We need to look at where where's communication falling down, where's trust broken, and create a healthier environment where family members may want to choose to, to engage more. Sure. Now, you have a new book out called The Myth of the Silver Spoon. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm super excited. So this book has been born out of my 17 years of working in specifically in this space with the rising generation family members. You know, I have a strong focus in my work on kind of the reverse hierarchy in families where I do a lot of work with the rising gen. And so this book is an outgrowth of that and of my research. I recently in 2017, I went back and got another master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. And a requirement of that program was original research and a, a thesis. And so the book is a culmination of both the research I did with exemplar rising generation. So rising generation family members who are really at the top of their game, living lives of success and fulfillment and finding ways to receive the legacy of their predecessors and work to create legacies of their own. My research was to try to understand, like, well, what are the character traits and skills that these rising gen have in common? Why? How is it that they are finding such beautiful pathways to success and fulfillment when so often we see that the next generation families and significant families can struggle to come out of the shadow of the big thinking wealth creator in, in front of them? And my research guided me to some key areas, some key character traits and skills that those rising gen have. And I wanted to figure out a way to get that out into the world. The myth of the silver spoon is about navigating family wealth and finding a way to creating an impactful life. Well, you talk a lot about impact. What does impact mean to you like on a deeper level? You know, I think that at our hearts, humans are meaning making creatures, right? Like we want to create meaning of the world. And we want to understand that at the end of the day, our existence here in this day, in this life, that it matters, that we matter, that we've had some some way of creating a mark. How, how, did, how did my waking up today and going to work and interacting with my family create a difference? And so really, I think that impact is the connection of those two things. It's the connection of, of meaning, like, why am I here? And connected to mattering, like, have I been able to impact someone else or something else in a way that, that made a difference? That makes sense. And I think the whole concept of how we mattered is what drives people. I think every day about who can I make a difference with is what I'm doing important, what's not important. I'm in my head right? all about that all the time. And I wish more people thought like that, you know, because it's not necessarily selfish if you don't, but gosh, what would, where would our world be if everybody did things that mattered? <laughs> Right. I think you're right, Gary. And I, the thing that I have found to be really true in my work is that really at our hearts, if you can like peel back the crusty layers of that can keep us from that true feeling of, of recognizing when we matter and having a filter in our lives about how 
how we can direct more actions towards impact. Most people really want that. That's what truly lights them up. But oftentimes we just have so many layers of duty and image and so many things that get in the way of our ability to actually feel what it feels like to have real impact and feel like you're in that positive cycle, you know, that virtuous cycle of goodness. But it would be a pretty incredible thing if more people could get there. Well, it would be. It ties into what our show is called, Legacy. And <laughs> let's talk legacy. Yep. Continuing a legacy on for people behind you and also a legacy while you're still alive. Yeah. I think people too often talk about legacy of what will people think about you and what are you going to leave behind when you leave? But what about leaving a legacy of what you're doing now for others to follow right now while you're still alive and being able to make it better? But what does legacy mean to you in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that legacy, it's the wrapping around all of the the desire to create meaning of like, why am I here? For Especially as I think about the really successful, financially successful people I know, when they have gotten to the place where they realize like, okay, I made it, then they start making meaning on a new level. Like, well, what is it all for? What's the impact I want this to have on my family? How do I make sure that that my community, that my that my family, that the things that matter most to me, that I can use the, these resources in a way that actually is in alignment with my values and my vision? And so I think that's what legacy is. It's like really being able to get to the heart of who am I and then how do I want to create impact? And legacy is ongoing impact. There's something that matters deeply to me, and I want to create a ripple effect from that. And that ripple effect is the ongoing echo of someone's legacy. It's the ultimate way of being able to stake a claim on mattering. Financial resources can create the engine for legacy. It can create the engine for impact. How do we, how do we align what's really at someone's heart and what the vision they have for meaning and mattering with the structures that make it so that can be ongoing, both in their lifetime and after their lifetime? So... You know, none of us know what really happens in the four walls of people's houses from the outside. For sure. And there are a lot of pressures in, in, in families. Some are just perfect flow. And then there's probably stuff pressures there too, because they're waiting for the axe to fall. Yep. Others have all sorts of chaos, but they don't necessarily want that. How does a person take an inner look at family legacy? And what can a person do that's listening today to create a tighter family? Where do they start? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think that there needs to be two components, right? There's the, or maybe it, maybe it's actually a trifecta. Maybe there's three because one is the looking inward. Like we, we have to be able to ask ourselves as leaders of families. We have to be able to ask ourselves, like if I project out 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and it's past my death or what, you know, whatever's the timeline, what does success look like? Like what am I seeing in my family? that would let me know that that I left things well. So I think one step is actually tangibly sitting down and saying, how would I know what would be present in my family for me to know that that the legacy I left was one that was positive? Sure. I think step two is if there's a partnership, so if you're in a marriage um, or a partnership of some sort, like that both people actually have to do that and then they have to be able to talk about it. Which seems like the kind of thing, you know, from the outside, you're, well, yeah, spouses should always talk about that. But we don't often have really good skills for doing that because it also requires a level of vulnerability to the things we don't know or we don't know how to articulate. 
So sometimes some support can be helpful in that, having a, a trusted person to also pull out what they're hearing and help a couple work that through. And then I would say the third element, you know, this is the order of operations that should probably go in is individual, couple. And then the third piece is really about being able to build the skill to have conversations with your family. Of course, that is all when and how to start to talk to your kids is age and stage dependent. You wouldn't have the same conversation with a five-year-old as you would with a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old, obviously. But one of the things that I find that families, particularly families that have created um, some financial success, the thing that they are most worried about is that somehow that success will ruin their kids, take away their motivation, take away that that edgy, gritty part of them. And so they don't want to talk about it and they don't have the language to talk about it. So then they they don't. But you can ask your kids to lead. You can ask them, like, what are like, what are you most curious about? Like, as you know, as, as we think about who we are as a family, as we think about the resources we have, what are the things that that you're most curious about? You don't have to answer every question your kid has, but you, you can say, like, I want to be in conversation. I want to like this is the first time I've ever done this, too can be very simple starter conversations. You don't have to pull back the curtain on anything. It's just really about starting to build the skills for talking about who we are, what we have, how do we align what we have with who we are. It doesn't have to be so complicated. It could be if there's a family dinner on a Sunday night, just slow down and communicate and and be present. I think that's such a big problem in our society today is that we're running so fast with social media, with our work, with our expectations, that just slowing down to understand and hear what the people that are closest to you are saying. Yep. It's huge. You say that there's four types of clutter <laughs> that's associated with wealth and seven-step process to clear the clutter. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that collectively we have, we, we don't do a great job of talking about money. We can talk about money, but we don't do a great job of actually understanding our relationship with money. Like how most people don't have a neutral relationship with money. It's either something that they want more of, something that they feel like was a replacement for love in their lives. It was something that they feel like they can't get enough of. Like there's some charge, positive, negative, but very few people actually have a neutral relationship with money and definitely not with wealth. As a result, one of the things that I found is that particularly for rising generation, for the kids raised in families where there are financial excess financial resources is they tend to have four distinct types of clutter. And what I mean by clutter is really basically psychological and emotional clutter. It's like the stuff that gets in the way of us feeling like we are authentically who we are. And so um, one type is actually money clutter specifically. It's about the limiting beliefs around wealth and our money stories and and just kind of our relationship with money that makes it so that it's we can't clearly see it as a tool Instead, we see it as something that is that is an emotional stand-in for lots of other things. The second one is identity clutter, which is really about who am I? It's and and often for kids raised with with in families where there's financial resources, it's about it's false beliefs about who I am. Like there's an over-identification with money that maybe was earned by a parent or a grandparent and passed down. 
The third type is relationship clutter. And for kids who have been raised with financial resources, this is often a confusing question of like, hey, do these people like me for who I am or because I have the best toys? Am I really being loved for me? And as rising gen get into romantic relationships, there's a whole other level of confusion about why is this person with me? And then the last one is what I've called contribution clutter, but it's really about the question of where we started with this idea of impact work. So contribution clutter is the limiting narratives about one's value as a person and how they can translate that into work in the world. And it doesn't have to be paid work in the traditional sense, but it really is about mattering. And that often families with financial resources can make it so that their kids don't have to work or don't have to work as hard, which is a great benefit. But the downside is that removing the economic need to work doesn't remove the human drive to work. Sure. I mean, it's good for us. We're wired to work. We're wired to like do something and see that we have a, a resulting impact. So those are the those are the four types of clutter that that I see most often. And the seven step process that I that I outline in the book is really about how do you go and do the inner work for like the inside yourself work first to like identify where that clutter is getting stuck and then set yourself up for success with with systems and support that help you move past that limiting place of that dark and cluttered place into a place where there's more air and room to breathe and and the ability to make decisions from a new fresh place which is what your ultimate goal is is to flourish right and be successful Yep. And speaking about flourishing, you've identified five components to really flourishing in the rising generation. What what would be those five components? Yeah. So there's basically, and this isn't a, an exhaustive list because there's a lot of things that we could look at. But in the research that I did, ultimately, there were five key things that came out of that. One is grit. So grit is passion and perseverance for a long-term goal. So it's like the ability to stick to something. So grit is one trait that when those rising gen are successful, they they all had experience in their lives they could point to where they had been gritty. Uh, the second one is growth mindset. And a growth mindset is someone who, who believes that um, they can learn, that their traits and skills are malleable and they can learn over time and they accept feedback and they're always willing to, to challenge themselves. People with a fixed mindset tend to be very, they, they tend to, to feel like what they have is probably the limits of what they can create. And in that, they don't venture out and they don't try new things. They don't actually grow and learn. So a growth mindset is essential for long-term success because as every successful person will say that they had plenty of failures along their path, you only end up in situations where you skin your knees that way by being willing to risk. So grit and growth mindset are two key things. Close positive relationships um, was another one that was common. And that really goes to that idea I was saying about relationship clutter that, that money can create a filter that makes it hard to know whether someone is, is really your friend or really wants to be your partner or not. Fourth, I guess is mastery experiences. Anybody who has engaged in something over a long period of time, learning an instrument, learning how to computer coding, trying to be a high level athlete has had a mastery experience and mastery experiences are things, times that we have done something where we really, really leaned into it and learned that we had the capability to get to a high level. And the powerful thing about mastery experiences is that they, you can port that experience over to new domains. So if I was a high level competitive swimmer and I learned what it took 
the work and the grit to to get there. Then when I'm in a situation where I'm trying to create a successful business, I know that I have what it takes. The fifth one is really understanding one's character strengths. But at the core of it, character strengths are the backbone of human thriving. Like at its heart, it's what are the strengths that you bring to the world that are naturally who you are? So it can be things like humor and zest, or it could be um, spirituality or awe. You know, having a, a just really being being open to the to the incredible magic of the world. So there's 24 identified culturally agnostic character strengths, meaning like these are universal character strengths that aren't dependent on culture. And the more someone knows what those their core character strengths are, the more they can actually engage in life from a place of their their greatest depth of strength, which means that they can be so much more powerful at creating impact. And so, so it's almost like if someone was asked, what is your core character strength? They should know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of integrity. I'm very spiritual. They should be at a point, but most people don't even know to even, they don't get asked that, right? Right. And spend time thinking about it, right? And so there is a, for your listeners who are interested, who, who just leaned into that particular one, the website, it's free. You can actually go take a character strengths assessment. And get your top character strengths and then you'll know. And then there's so many resources for, for using those character strengths. But the, the website is via, V-I-A, character, C-H-A-R-A-C-T-E-R dot org, via character dot org. Take the assessment. It'll take you like 10 minutes. You'll get your results. And then understanding what those top character strengths are means you can use them more effectively. Yeah. So. Talking legacy here with a couple last questions. How have you used the thought of legacy to personally grow yourself? When you think of legacy, what does that mean to you and to your family? Yeah, it's such a great question. My my dad was a successful entrepreneur. He is still alive. And I spent a lot of time in my 20s and 30s watching him, but really think about what was the impact he wanted to have, uh, you know, with the money that he had created. And so I think that for me, there is, there's, I've, I've seen that role modeled. And one of the things that has impacted me was how much he has aligned his thinking with, with his values in terms of the organizations he wanted to give to and how he wanted to support his family and which, in what kind of ways would he provide financial support and in what kind of ways wouldn't he? Um, and so for me, that legacy is the question of legacy is one that I think about in the same way. Like, particularly with the the ages that my kids are right now, they are becoming their own people. And how do we use the resources that we have, human capital and financial capital, to one, let support them to keep growing up well, um, but also to guide and to to be able to say, like, it matters to me that we are good citizens of our community. So this is this is a legacy I want to leave. We're going to we're going to give in certain ways. We're going to engage our time in certain ways. Ultimately, it circles back to where we started, which is as I am more clear about the the meaning that I want to make of my life and that I, at the end of the day, I hope that I have mattered. The thought of, of legacy has invited me to, to project out a little further than I otherwise would into how do we grow these people into people that I'm, I'm proud of when I project forward 10 and 15 and 20 years. I really appreciate you doing what you do because we need more people teaching about mattering and flourishing and, mm. and growing and because there's so much in our world that is just 
tough and we've been through a lot in the last, especially in the last few years with everything and getting back to the core of the family unit and the people that are closest to us, knowing that we're doing the best we can do with the tools that we've been given prior in our life. Just such good stuff, Kristen. So how would people get your book or connect with you if they want to use any of your services or how would they reach you? Yeah, thank you for that. So the books, The Myth of the Silver Spoon, it's out there and ready. Wiley is the publisher and they're they're getting it into the, all the right channels. My business is Illumination 360. So I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N 360. And that's where it's probably easiest for people to connect with me. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn and and it's that's another great place. Kristen Kepler, K-E-F-F-E-L-E-R. Um, and I would love to to hear from folks if they if something in this podcast touched them or if they were curious about how they themselves can take some of this into action and and really start to craft a stronger path of thriving and a more defined um, sense of legacy. I'd be happy to connect with anyone to to support in any way I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. This was just super fun. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies.